0: The following program is brought to you by the Tennessee Broadband Association. Lead Tennessee Radio, conversations with the leaders moving our state forward. We look at the issues shaping Tennessee's future, rural development, public policy, broadband, healthcare, and other topics impacting our communities.
1: Hello, I'm Carrie Huckabee, the Executive Director of the Tennessee Broadband Association. Taylor Beatty, Air State Broadband Director with Tennessee Department of Economic and Community Development, is my guest on this episode of Lead Tennessee Radio. In September, you probably heard, or maybe you saw, that the department announced it would invest almost $447 million in grants to expand broadband across the state of Tennessee. Some $213 million of that was awarded to the Tennessee Broadband Association member companies, so that they could reach several unserved and underserved counties. It is exciting news indeed for many Tennesseans that have been here waiting for broadband or better broadband. And these funds come from the American Recovery Plan, the Tennessee Emergency Broadband Fund, and the 112th General Assembly approved Governor Lee's $500 million budget for broadband infrastructure and adoption. And we talk a lot on this podcast and mainly in all of our conversations about building the network and the capital investment it takes to build it and maintain it. But on this episode, we're switching gears just a little bit. Taylor is here to talk about another important piece of that broadband funding, and that's digital literacy and adoption. So welcome, Taylor. I know you're a busy lady. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Carrie. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you recently passed your one-year mark as the state broadband director. And before this, you uh, worked for USDA in, in the RUS program. And you also have government affairs and legislative experience in D.C. on your resume. Tell us what you learned in those past experiences or, or anything else that helped you do what you do every day.
0: Yeah, great question.
1: Um, I think, you know, it's it, I'll first
0: say it's it's great to be home and, and back in Tennessee and get the chance to um, serve the communities that that built me and my family um, and then across the state, of course. And just to be able to give back and work on this important issue here in my home state Um you know, I did. I'd spent some time in DC and and got some different experiences up there. And I think the big thing that I learned that is really um, helpful now, especially with just the amount of federal funding that's headed to states, and and we're working to um, tease out how we're going to spend that money and how we want to be the best stewards of it. It's just, you know, learning and understanding what that process looks like. What Um, what decisions go into large um, federal funding packages like the bipartisan infrastructure law and how do we um, learn as implementers um, of that funding how to make sure it goes to the right place and so I think that that perspective of kind of the Mm -hmm the big picture um, executive side or the legislative side, what decisions are going into those conversations? How do you um, get that uh, funding out into communities or in my past kind of out into states? Um, You know, that, that perspective has, has been really interesting, especially here on the ground um, to, to help us have that perspective and understand how do we, You know, take what what I know about where this this funding, quite frankly, comes from and then how do we get it out and deploy it into our community? So I think that that has been something that really has been helpful for me, um, especially as we're gearing up for um, the large amounts of federal funding that we're going to be continuing to get um, in the next year or so. um,
1: Just to understand that federal process and what that looks like. I can see where that past experience will be very helpful in what's coming down the path. So we're building networks to underserved and unserved areas is, of course, only part of the solution, as we said. And digital equity is a vital part of broadband expansion. And this does cover digital literacy and adoption. Tell us how having a broadband connection and knowing how to use it how does that impact people in areas of education, safety, agriculture, and economic opportunity? I mean, that is that is really uh, such a huge part of the
0: puzzle. Um, I know I've, I've said this a while um, since I first <laughs> kind of arrived on the block here in Tennessee about a year and in, in some change ago. And learned that we would have um, a significant amount of funding for broadband adoption. I My background is infrastructure policy, specifically broadband infrastructure policy. And so um, I have been learning um, a lot about the digital literacy and opportunity side and what that looks like. Um, and it it does hold a special place in my heart of just understanding how do we make sure that folks have what they need to actually access that technology once the infrastructure is there. Um, so again, that's, you know, a great, great point that the infrastructure is a, a large piece of the puzzle, but it's not the only piece of the puzzle. Um, and so, you know, how does that impact um, a household or a community when they have what they need um, to be able to access the technology? And I think it, it's, it makes a huge impact. Um, it's, it's the difference between um, the infrastructure or the technology being there um, and that technology and infrastructure being used. Um, it's something that, you know, we, uh, you know, a lot of times and, and I've, I have, um, I grew up in more of a, a suburban area and, um, but had lots of family in rural, rural parts of the state that, that did not have access to internet growing up and kind of, you um, for granted the connectivity I had um, until I really got into this space and started thinking a lot about how you know lots of, of family and friends back home didn't have access to internet. And so understanding that the impact that adopting to that internet is, be it, you know this is how we can pay our bills and check our email and do schoolwork online. Um, be it this is how I can do a telehealth or doctor's visit online um, safely and securely, and not have to drive two or three hours away um, to access that kind of um, specialist or healthcare visit. Um, you know, but but it's even more than that. I think it's it's understanding the value that this adds to um, somebody's life and really just that piece of the puzzle of the infrastructure's there. Um, what are some of those barriers? Is it affordability? And, and a lot of times it is affordability. So how do we address those issues? Um, because we want we want our folks in our Tennessee communities to be able to access that. And so that touches all of those pieces that you talked to talked about. It's the workforce development and digital skills training. How do we actually use the technology? How do we afford the technology? How do we adopt to the technology and use this long term? And I think on the infrastructure side, that certainly also impacts um, to providers, you know, subscribership and take rates and really helps, again, build that case for why, um, you know, providers should come to these rural and remote areas, because that interest is there, that demand is there. Um, and so I think it's, it's a complex uh, conversation about broadband adoption. But really, really, like I said, I, I think it makes the difference. It's the difference between, you know, the infrastructure just being there and actually being used and adopted to.
1: Well, I think last week, we celebrated National Rural Health Day. That was either last Thursday or Friday. And it brings just to our attention, just a small piece of that adoption and infrastructure with telehealth, and you know the pandemic taught us a whole lot about education and how important it is to have that connectivity. But it also taught us that we can do those visits with that telehealth with our doctor's office, and you know save us those trips into the bigger cities, or um, you know if it's just a blood pressure check or it's a uh, a diabetes check or something like that we can do it from the home instead of making that trip into a doctor's office especially during flu season no yeah. one <laughs> you know no one wants to be in the doctor's office in flu season so um there's just so many pieces of that adoption and quality of life you know once the infrastructure is there and and how to use it uh, last year, the Pew Research reported that 72% of rural communities are connected, and that number, I think, was around 77 to 79% in the more populated urban areas, as you mentioned. But that leaves about twenty to thirty percent of the state that aren't connected, and if I remember correctly, there's about fifty million dollars allocated in our, in our state plan for adoption programs, and then the BEAT program is following that up with, I think they're setting aside two and a half to three billion for similar efforts. The intent is for everyone to have broadband if they want to subscribe to broadband. But what are some of the reasons you and your team have found that uh, consumers and businesses don't connect to broadband? Of course, you mentioned affordability, and that's, that's a big piece. But how will these funds help overcome that, you think, and reduce that 20, 30 percent? I think, um, yeah,
0: affordability is probably the largest um, challenge that, that we're hearing. Um, of course, we, we're in kind of the kind of pre-planning process for the bead and digital equity funding and so we're kind of having those introductory conversations about hey like what are the things that are barriers to folks adopting to internet um, really on a community level because that looks different um, from urban to rural or um, just different you know folks from different backgrounds across the state and you know what, what are those barriers and, you know, how do we work towards solutions because we can't work towards solutions if we don't know what those barriers are. Um, and so I think the other piece of, like I said, affordability being probably the, the biggest thing that we hear, um, I think even as you get into more rural areas in our state, um, that, you see a lot of questions around um, digital skills training and just understanding um, the value that the internet can bring to a household. Um, you know, for a lot of our communities, especially, um, and I had this conversation actually with my grandparents um, not too long ago. That you know, for a lot of our aging populations in in the state. Um, And again, like I said, I had this conversation with my grandparents and they were like, well, you know, if we've gone this long without the Internet, why should we do this now? (laughs) And so I'm like, well, there's so much more, you know, there's so much opportunity there. It's not, um, you know, necessarily about accessing social media or or things like that, although that is something that they can do. Um, It's also, you know, an opportunity, like you said, to be able to. Um, you know, go to the doctor and not have to sit in the waiting room during flu season or, you know, just have access to the things that you may not have right there in front of you. Um, and I think also on the, the agriculture side, um, I grew up um, in in the 4-H world and precision agriculture I know is, is really important and dependent on broadband. And so how we Mm -hmm. um, make sure that we're communicating at the state level and the community level, how important it is to make sure that that connection is there. Um, And then also I think it's a matter of actually Leveraging those folks in the community to talk about and teach and demonstrate why it's important. Because I think from place to place, you have folks that don't understand exactly why it's important in 2022, as as everything is moving to online. I mean, it's it's hard sometimes to to pay your bills in person these days, or to you know um, do a job applications. Pretty much all online, and so I think as we're moving to that understanding how we make sure that folks in our communities know the value of internet and also, you know, have what they need um, to be able to get to that point where they can use it and adopt to it.
1: You mentioned affordability and it, as we said, it's a challenge for many and the FCC put the affordable connectivity plan into effect Back during the pandemic to assist anyone that needed help paying for broadband, and I think it was a discount up to about $50 per month for those who qualified. There's also a $100 discount on the purchase of a new laptop, device, tablet, a desktop, computer, but beyond the affordability challenge, and you mentioned this about learning how to use devices, some people may not be comfortable purchasing or using a particular device like a tablet or even a smartphone. Do you think that being uncomfortable with the technology slows down broadband adoption? How big of a factor do you think that is? And is that age specific or do you think it's across all age groups?
0: Yeah, I think um, that's a really good point. Um, you know, I am, am really intrigued about that conversation of the actual device piece um, because uh, it, it just things have changed so much in terms of technology. And um, I was talking to a, a teacher the other day. She's an elementary age teacher. And we were talking about like when we did typing classes in school and, you know, I'm a millennial, so I definitely went through the typing classes. Um, but she was telling me, she was like, you know, our school doesn't do that anymore because, you know, our kids use Chromebooks or iPads and they, you know, touch, you know, they like tap on it like a, you know, touch. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting to me um, because we were talking about how, um, you know, t- how important like typing classes are because you can't do like a, you know, um, resume or something like that on your smartphone. Like, that's just hard. And so uh, we were talking about how, like, there's a, a an interesting correlation between, you know, the fact that a lot of our, um, you know, Aging populations also struggle with that. But then also some of our our younger populations are like typing like we don't type like that anymore. And so like having those kinds of conversations. But but I think the the issue of having appropriate devices is definitely um, a challenge when it comes to how to adopt um, to internet um an internet subscription because i think there's a common misconception and i think we probably talked about this carrie but like it you know if you have a have a um smartphone and you know a cellular connection that you know you've got all you need and that that gets it done but like i said i mean doing things like um you know do applying for a job or submitting a homework assignment those are hard things to do on a smartphone um so making sure that folks have what they need. I'm not not saying that every household has to have a you know desktop computer and all you know all the things, but I think um, you know leveraging what we're doing in communities to make sure that that you know those gaps are filled. Um, you mentioned ACP. Um, there there's definitely some opportunity there on devices, and then that. Um, $30 off subscription. I know a lot of our uh, Tennessee providers, most of our Tennessee providers are participating there. So if you're um, an eligible household, um, you can access some of those benefits. And that's a great uh, tool. That's something that we have realized in the last couple months as we've rolled from the emergency broadband benefit to ACP, or as the FCC has rolled rather, you know, that that's not being utilized as much as we would like to see. We know there are a lot of households in Tennessee that are eligible for that. So we want to make sure we're pushing that out because not only does that help fill in some of the gaps on the, you know, internet subscription, but it also helps on making sure that we're connecting folks to if there's a device piece that's missing. Um, And then I also say that, you know, the state is looking for with our $50 million that that you mentioned earlier um, that we're going to have available for affordability and adoption programs, you know, we want to see how we can fill in those gaps, both in, you know, digital skills training and understanding how to use that technology and that equipment, um, but also working with some nonprofits and folks in the community to, you know, find some of those approaches that aren't a one size fits all, um, and making sure that they have what they need to help people get devices and affordable connections and things like that. So, I think there's some exciting things to that vein that are that are in the pipeline. Um, but, but you're right on. I think access to an, a device that um, gets done what you need to do on it, I think, is is also a big part of whether or not folks. Are going to adopt to the internet.
1: There's a big learning curve with the cloud. You know, Mm -hmm. everything's going to the cloud, how to use the cloud. Um, Or, you know, are you storing everything on your laptop or on your hard drive? Or does it go to the cloud? And where do you find it after that? So um, there's a lot to what kind of device you want to buy and use every day. I spoke to Dr. Daniel Collins from the University of Tennessee a couple of months ago, and he's a 4-H lifer, and I think you are too. Um, and he talked about the 4-H tech Change Makers and the grant that they received where 4-H students in our counties will be teaching older residents how to use the Internet. I mean, some of these very things that we talked about with telehealth or checking your bank statement or paying your bills. Um, they'll be training them and uh, to talk to use the internet and connected devices. Do you think it's programs like this one that will help increase broadband adoption across the state? One thousand percent.
0: <laughs> I um, thought you would agree. I think, yeah, I think that, and you're right on. I am, am definitely a 4-H lifer. Grew up and and did all the things from canning to livestock to um, I'm, you know the technology stuff. It was, it was great. And I, I loved every minute of it. Um, but I think, you know, that is so important. I cannot stress that enough. I think uh, what's interesting um, about this, and I, I mentioned this earlier that, you know, we've got a lot of Of challenges in broadband, in in adoption, particularly in affordability, in rural communities and in urban communities, sometimes those challenges look really similar. The solutions a lot of times are different. And there's things like, you know, from in in a rural community, you don't have, um, and and some do, but, but most probably don't in Tennessee, but you don't have Um, Public transportation, you don't have a a good way of getting everybody in one room to do things like digital literacy training the way that you might in an urban community or parts of an urban community where something is in walking distance or public transportation um, is available uh, and sometimes uh, you just don't have the resources or the space available um, in one or the other. And so they're different, different solutions. Um, and so I think primarily for your listeners that are mostly working in those rural areas, I think definitely um, leveraging 4-H, leveraging youth partnerships um, to have those kinds of conversations and trainings Um It's going to take, especially in our rural areas, more of a grassroots approach, I think, to address this issue. We have 95 counties across the state. 95 different challenges, um, with broadband and 95 different solutions. Um, some things might work in some counties, uh, twice and that is great or, or five times or maybe 93 times, but it's going to take sitting down in that community and finding out what works for the folks there. Um, and I think that leveraging youth, um, to be able to help bridge some of those gaps is going to be awesome. Um, I have, have, um, said that a lot recently that, um, you know, making sure that we're uh, using, we're not reinventing the will, you know, you have a lot of, of high school and middle school kids um, in the 4-H programs that are like, we want to serve in our community, so what better way than to pair them with, you know, some folks that need that help and and honestly that encouragement and would love to sit down with um, some of them and learn from them. Um, and I think that's that's awesome. And I think you'll also find that those kids also learn um, from those those folks that they're working with and teaching. And so I think I think that's um, just a really cool. Thing. And I think um, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly supportive of those kinds of solutions um, statewide and just kind of teasing out what is the best thing for our community? Um, how do we do things that are going to be impactful? I know in some areas it might be, you know, particularly thinking about like ACP and, and promotion of that, like back to school pushes or back to semester pushes, mm-hmm. Um finding ways that you can partner with the providers in the area to just make sure that folks have the information that they need um, to know what's out there, um, to know what the packages are for their internet subscriptions, to know where broadband is in the community, um, to make sure they know how to access or get questions answered when they have those, like, how do they do that? Who do they reach out to? Mm-hmm. Um, I've recently, I also mentioned one more thing on the, the 4-H and extension side. I recently spoke at um, some of the digital literacy trainings that um, UT extension had actually last week and was able to talk to some of the um, extension staff just about, Hey, you know, how can we be better partners so that if you're working with the adult ag or the adult fcs or the you know youth in the school systems when you undoubtedly get that person or that family that says hey i need internet or i can't afford internet or whatever the challenge is you know where to go to, you know who to contact. And it's, you know, I think there's a a really good opportunity for us there to um, leverage that partnership and and figure out ways that we can work together to solve this issue in our community.
1: Definitely. And that is something I talked to Dr. Collins about, because when the Tennessee broadband marketing committee visited the UT. We talked about digital literacy and adoption, and he told us about this program. We told him, please keep us involved because, you know, as you know, many of the members serve all these counties in Tennessee. So uh, that partnership would be very important where we're helping the students know, we're helping everyone know where we serve, where broadband's available, what packages are there, all of that. So I do think it takes collaboration and partnership to make all of this work. So I'm very happy to hear you say that and touch on that. Is there anything else that you would like to add or you're looking for from anyone in the state to help with this?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now and and I know your your members are really good about doing this, but I think the biggest thing right now is having those conversations at the community and the county level about, you know, where the problem areas are, um, what the pain points are. Is it a challenge of access? Is it a challenge of affordability or adoption? Is it both? Um, Because I think there's so much value in just sitting down with community leaders and trying to make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, I think as we are moving into deploying um, a lot of this federal funding in the next couple of years, we're going to be making sure on the state level, our, our job is to make sure that we finish this, that we make sure every Tennessee household and business has the opportunity to access broadband infrastructure. Um, but that also means we have to make sure that every Tennessee household and business has the resources they need to adopt to it. And so with that, I think even starting just on the local level, um, you know, be it talking to the county, to political subdivisions and localities and just sitting down and saying, hey, look, there are these big pockets that don't have access or there are big pockets, um, you know, from the provider side of, you know, who is and isn't adopting what partnerships or existing efforts can we partner on uh, to make sure that we're getting these folks in our community what they need to be able to access it. And I think um, that's just a huge part of it. I know I, I've met with a couple of counties um, in, in recent months where um, you know they're pretty well built out. And so they're sitting here saying, okay, we, most of our folks have access to internet, but we still get questions or concerns about internet. And that's coming from that adoption side, that the, the infrastructure's there, but they're not sure how to to be where they can be to actually adopt to it. Be that affordability, or just understanding what it looks like to subscribe to an internet um, to an internet package, or being able to get a device uh, that makes sense for them to be able to use the internet. There's there's a lot of those things, and so I think starting from having those conversations and just You know, sitting down and saying, hey, where are the pain points and how can we sit down and and figure out ways um, to partner there? We're also going to be in the process of doing some um, regional and community based listening sessions um, in the coming next three months or so um, as we're planning through how we're going to use the bead and digital equity funding from the federal government. Um, We'll have to be um, writing a five-year action plan. And so, and a a digital opportunity plan. And so that's something that we want to hear that feedback. And so I think as soon as folks can start having those conversations and bubbling those, um, you know, pain points up to us so we can make sure that's captured, we, we really want to make sure that we're using this money to, to solve the issue here in Tennessee. And it's going to take um, everyone listening to this podcast to make that happen. Um, and so we're, we're excited about it, um, but we are just really um, anxious to get started and, and would love to hear um, from our communities and our providers about what ways uh, we can better partner
1: moving forward. Sounds good. And we definitely look forward to working with you and, and your department and and helping find what the challenges are and pinpointing those for sure, and then finding solutions for them and being able to bring those down into each one of our serving areas in our counties. So, we are definitely here to support you and to collaborate and partner to ensure that the adoption numbers get where we want them to be and where everyone has access to good, reliable broadband. So, is there anything else you want to add before we close?
0: Um, I don't think so. I just, I think the big thing is we're, we're really excited about this. I mean, we get the chance to do something that is going to transform, um, our Tennessee communities. And, you know, we're so excited about that. Um, we're so excited about this process and what it's going to look like. And, um, you know, I said this, but, but our goal is literally to finish the job to make sure that every Tennessee household and business has um, access to broadband, but also has what they need to adopt to it. And so, you know, we're excited. Um, We're looking forward to what's coming down the pipeline and how we can work together to
1: finish the job. Great. It's a good goal to have. My guest has been Taylor Beatty, Tennessee State Broadband Director with the Tennessee Department of Economic and Community Development. And you've been listening to Lead Tennessee Radio, produced by Tennessee Broadband Association, cooperative and independent companies connecting our state's rural communities and beyond with world class broadband.